Hey there, and welcome to Time for Chai, the podcast series where leaders in manufacturing, commodities, risk, supply chain management, and digital technology come to share truly actionable insight based on real-world experiences. I'm your host, Jake Jacobs, Head of Growth at Chai. So today's episode is really, really exciting for me because it marks the start of a special mini-series that we're doing focusing on commodities and commodity risk management in partnership with the JP Morgan Center for Commodities at Colorado University. So today I'm joined by Tom Brady and my colleague, Stephen Butler. Tom is the executive director of the center and prior to this role, Tom was the chief economist at Newmont Mining Corporation. Tom has over 30 years of experience adding significant value to businesses through expert analysis and forecasting across mining, oil and gas, and energy specifically. While Stephen is Chai's resident commodities trading guru, and for over 20 years, Stephen has uh, has worked in the markets, trading multiple commodity types on every exchange in the world. Prior to Chai, prior to co-founding Chai, he spent 12 years as head of commodities trading at the commodities-focused hedge fund, Aspect Capital. Gentlemen, welcome. It's really, really great to have you on the show. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me here. So first off, I think it's a really good place to start. You know, let's uh, talk a little bit about the situation right now. So Tom, I, I don't know if you'd like to kick us off. You know, what's your view of what's happening right now, both in the U.S. and, and kind of globally? What an odd time for commodities in the wider world. Yeah, it. Uh, you know, it just uh, what I've always enjoyed about the commodity markets and uh, what I attempt to convey to whether it was uh, employees that were working for me that were relatively new to the sector or students now is just every day is different. It's such an exciting uh, sector to be involved with. Back in January and February, I was given a lot of market outlook presentations, for example, uh, to the oil and gas and, and natural gas space uh, in particular on the market outlook. At that point, I was saying, yep, we're absolutely not going to be having any recessions this year. And, you know, here we are, a pandemic uh, and uh, so, you know, you just got to adjust. And, you know, here we are going into a, a pretty significant recession with uh, an extensive uh, recovery ahead of us. So, you know, it, uh, it just is an exciting, an exciting time. Absolutely. No, I, t- I totally agree. It's, you know, I don't know if you've got any kind of thoughts on the current situation right now. You know, I think initially, I think there was a lot of uh, views out there that, yeah, this is going to be a sharp V type recovery, you know, we sank quickly and we're going to climb quickly out of this uh, globally, but uh, I just do not see that happening. I just really? think we're in for more of a, a gradual slog climb out of this, you know, uh, if you think, uh, you know, it, and just to get back to that kind of economic activity prior to the pandemic, you know, it's, it's in my view, you know, you're going to have to have some kind of uh, vaccine. And it's not only developing the vaccine and making sure it works, but how do you get that distributed to 7 billion people on the planet? You know, it's just that kind of, that's just going to take time. You know, I saw recently an interesting chart on the count of, you know, security screenings uh, for airport passengers here in the U.S. yesterday. And, you know, that in in early March, that was about 2.2 million people a day getting screened. That sank to about you know, a little over 85,000 in mid-April. And, you know, currently we're right around 250,000. So there's a long, by that indicator, there's just a long way to, to, to go to, to get people to have confidence, to, to get on an airplane, to, to go on vacation, to go on, a, on work travel. 
all that activity around that. So I just I just think we're in for a, a recovery that's going to take a long time, and it's not it's not a, it's not that V-shaped recovery. And that's just if we don't have a a second wave of this pandemic. So it might be more of a W-shaped thing. Uh, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> I've had all sorts. I've had uh, W-shaped Nike tick. I've had a bathtub. Stephen, what what do you think? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I I agree. I think it's 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 all relative. You know, I think we can we can analyze what's happened just now. It's all about what is coming down the road. And we back probably eight months ago, we did some sort of scenario testing on a request for a client. So this is well before any sort of COVID nineteen. Just looking at stress testing markets and how volatility spikes around certain events. So, you know, we, we don't think we can ever be able to forecast an event like this, but we sort of think we have a handle on how prices tend to react after an event. This, to be honest, is a bit of a game changer. You know, people have asked us about previous things like uh, Zika virus, SARS, stuff like that. They were very much an isolated event, whereas this is a global event, which is unprecedented that we've seen. So, you know, it's a difficult one. And, and you know, fingers crossed that, that we are past the worst of it. But, you know, we're working hard to see if we can, if our models have detected stuff that um, that maybe they've never seen before. Absolutely. Really, really interesting stuff. And Tom, what's your reading of the energy sector specifically? Obviously, we've seen negative w, WTI in, in the kind of not too, not too distant past. And now things seem to have kind of settled a little bit. But what do you think about the energy sector right now? You know, I think the, the sector itself was pretty wobbly even going into the uh, you know in, into the pandemic you know u.s oil the shale oil industry very fragmented a lot of firms already have stressed balance sheets you know the, the same thing happened in, in the mining space back in that 2013 period when uh, investors were promised that these high returns and uh they're just not being realized so you know so invested you know, the investment side of things has soured on particularly the U.S. Uh, shale producers, shale oil producers. You know, I just think that you're going to see some, some significant consolidation in that space. You know, and just as a note, you know, relative to a conventional oil field, the U.S. shale plays have very aggressive decline curves. So, you know, you you might, uh, you know, here, here for an, in Colorado, for example, the second year of operation of a particular well you might mm-hmm. be just getting 50% of the volume that you got in year one, and that'll decline even through year five, where it's just down to about 7%. So as a result, you know, these firms have to, to have significant capital investment to, you know, be drilling all the time to, 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 to maintain some level of production. So CapEx budgets have been dramatically slashed by these, these firms. And as a result, you're going to start to see that flowing through into lower uh, production from the U.S., and I, in my view, I think you're going to see OPEC pick up market share from that. And it's just that decline curve really focuses, forces, uh, you know, uh, you know, an intense effort on CapEx spending. And you just it, that that has uh, been been radically reduced. Really interesting so, stuff. Uh, really. Stephen, we were obviously talking yesterday to your old friend, Troy Lavin, right, about oil and, and kind of the oil markets, particularly around, you know, Brent. But we also talked a little bit about OPEC. Well, what's your view, Stephen, on, on kind of OPEC and whether they're going to be relevant moving forward? Yeah, yeah. As you as you point out, we did discuss this yesterday, and you know, uh, an observation that Troy made was that the Iranian oil minister, when he came out of the OPEC meeting back in March, 
and he I think he's been two or three decades as a minister uh, within the Iranian oil industry. He said it was the worst OPEC meeting he'd ever sat in. Now, you have to infer that there was a lot of animosity going on across the room between OPEC, OPEC plus, you know, for all purposes, Russia. And you need to do, you, you, yeah, you definitely need to look at the wider implications. I mean, historically, OPEC have always sort of gone ahead of the cuts. So, you know, they've always sort of played around the periphery. You know, if it was a concerted effort to knock out, you know, because at the end of the day, all of the OPEC members on OPEC Plus, they're all state-sponsored bodies. They mm. have a uniformed view on how they should be dealing in the markets, whereas, you know, they've obviously, as Tom points out, the U.S. has taken, shale industry has taken a lot of market share away from them on a global scale. But a lot of the industries or a lot of the, the shale industry is smallish to medium-sized private companies. And they aren't unified per se. So if it was a question of were they deliberately looking to knock them out of the of the balance and then reset and then go again, it, it remains to be seen if they if they will be as unified as they were back in the sort of 80s, 90s. Uh, it's a difficult one. I think people will, I think there will be a huge amount of mistrust about OPEC now having the collapse, obviously demand, you know, the demand destruction was there, but they certainly did not help the oil industry by having tantrums in the middle of March, which was really the catalyst for all commodities to, to um, you know, head south. People will not forget that for a while, I would have thought. Really interesting stuff. Tom, what do you make of, of that? Well, you know, I just, uh, you know, from a, a, you know, a longer term view, I, uh, you know, global demand back in 2019 seems like a long time ago, but, you know, it was around 100 million barrels a day of mm. demand. I've seen forecasts, which I kind of agree with, that that'll probably grow to about 108 million barrels by that mid 20, you know, mid 30s, mid mid you know, 2035. You know, more people drive more cars. You know, in, increased urbanization, all the activities that uh, you know, as you know, some of these emerging economies become uh, more and more developed. You know, that then it'll start to de- decline. You know, through through 2050, and mostly driven by increased use of electric vehicles as they become more widespread. But still, by 2050, we're going to be around 100 million barrels of, of demand a day. So, right, pretty much where we are now. So, um, anybody that thinks oil is not going away is, uh, you know, has has you know, have to be much. It's just not not happening. You know, it. Uh, you know, here in the in the U.S. and particularly here in Colorado, we have a real you know, there's just a real misviews of what the impact of, uh, you know, renewables can do. And it just, yeah. you know, we have to add some realism to that discussion, which is one of the aims of this, the uh, the center, what I'm trying to push. And, and we can talk about that a little bit later. Absolutely. Really looking forward to coming on to that. Actually, I'm, I'm very kind of excited personally to just understand a bit more about what you guys are doing and your kind of mission with the uh, JPMCC. So we'll definitely come on to that in a second. But Tom, I'd like to stay with you for a second and just, you know, one of the things that we always try and do with the podcast, with the webinar series, with all the content that we're involved in at Chai, we always try to create kind of actionable, truly valuable insight for the community of folk that are listening, you know, tuning in. So could you give any advice to folk out there, you know, who are actually still in the kind of hot seats dealing with this situation unfolding right now? You know, what are your thoughts about how people can kind of mitigate and reduce the risk that they're exposed to right now in the commodities markets. Well, this is an interesting question. I, you know, I just thought back to, you know, one of the things we were trying to, we were just starting to do in my role as a chief economist was to really, how can we start leveraging, you know, 
all this information out there, this big data. You know, I, I had a couple of folks working for me that just had very good, good skills and, in, in, you know, things like Python and R and uh, being able to, to gather that data with, with tools and then analyze it. And to me, I just think of if I was going to be going back into to re-enter the workforce, I would be myself would be looking to retool with, you know, I'd have to get up to speed on, on, the, on those kind of get fluid in those programming skills, as well as is dusting off uh, some some econometric uh, skills that are kind of uh, kind of have uh, aged on me. So I uh, but I, I just think leveraging information. Can you create? You know, when you're trying to 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 forecast, can you create interesting indices, sentiment indicators, what have you, with new ways of looking at data? So I just think that to me is a very interesting. Uh, you know things where uh, where that this part of the uh, the commodity market is going in my view well i mean given what we do at chai i'm sure steven's feeling the same but that makes me feel pretty good to kind of <laughs> hear that sort of foundation as well steven what, what do you think i mean that really does kind of speak exactly to the point of chai and what we're doing yeah i mean I, I, there's probably two points that i think are worth mentioning so the first would be what we do at Chai on a very sort of systematic basis is, and based on our background, we try and take emotional element out of predicting prices. And, you know, an example of this would have been when there was the uh, Iranian drone strike on the Saudi oil installations back in September, October of last year, when oil prices uh, spiked and then subsequently fell fairly quickly over the next 10 trading sessions or so. Um, a lot of our clients were asking, you know, why, why weren't our signals reacting to this? And why, you know, why didn't we suddenly flip the bullish? You know, we tried to explain that, you know, the, the way that we put them together is that over a sort of medium and longer term, there will be the odd anomaly spike where we, it's not so much we won't get, we'll get it wrong, but we just won't pick up on it as quickly as sort of discretionary guy does. But once the event happens, our inputs will look at what else is going on in the world and make a rational decision, non-human based and non-emotional based about where they actually think the market's going to go. And in that scenario, we remain quite bearish even after the event within within the week or so. And then, you know, we subsequently saw prices actually decline below where they were prior to the strike. So a lot of what we try and do and I try and explain to our clients is we try to take the emotional element, you know, having been a trader for 25 years, I understand the information in front of you tells you one thing, but your gut feeling sometimes you may go against that. Now, there are going to be times when we aren't going to be able to or, or you know, on large events that we've never seen, like like we currently are going through. There may be times when people have to actually take a step back and go, look, hang on, this is a real game changer. Let's just sit down and analyze it. But over a medium to long term, the philosophy is of using automated machine learning and algorithms it does work if you just let the machines do their thing and don't try and tweak them too much, they do work. And that leads me on to my second point is, you know, as Tom rightly points out, it's all about trying to look at the sort of data that is out there now. There's constantly new sources of data coming on. We are not naive enough to think that we're going to suddenly stumble across a piece of data that is going to suddenly turn us from a, a relatively new startup firm and suddenly we're going to have a home run predictions constantly because of this new sort of data. What we do believe is that over time, every time we add a bit of data that we think will add value, we think it's going to add little incremental 
value over time. And that's what we are constantly looking to do. We're looking to source new bits of data that we think we tighten up and incrementally improve the signals, not suddenly sweeping across all of our signals, but over time, as we add these inputs, they do make our predictive powers better. But it's a, it's a little and often process rather than we're going to suddenly step across the holy grail. Yeah, really, really interesting. And Tom, actually, now I think it makes sense to turn our attention to the JP Morgan Center for Commodities. Because, you know, I remember when we spoke before, you mentioned about how a lot of the guys doing the courses there are being trained in, you know, some of the kind of different data science techniques, trained in coding, this kind of thing. Do you want to talk a little bit about the kind of the wider work that the center does? And then we can focus in on the kind of specifics around, for example, how you're kind of teaching the, the guys about coding and, and data science? Yeah, so, uh, you know, the, the, the J.P. Morgan Center for Commodities was established in 2012. And there's, you know, the niche for this program is that it, it is offering education across the broad commodity space, you know, uh, oil and gas, energy, the ag sector, as well as, as mining metals. So, uh, you know, we're just trying to get students an understanding of the production side, through the supply chain, how do how do these uh, how do these commodities get to to consumers, and uh, eventually, you know, how are they actually traded financially in, in the fin in the financial markets? So, an understanding of of the futures markets, uh, among other things, is uh, is what we're just trying to have that broad commodity ex education. Professional ed is is an important thing. You know, we are we're uh, you know we're offering like uh, commodity data analytics courses coming up, you know, they're going to be online here in June, but, uh, you know, just for people that want to take advantage of this period where they might be, you know, we're just going to have a, a four week, uh, you know, a couple hours a week sessions that, uh, you know, where people can kind of get the, again, those econometric skills, uh, you know, and then it's, uh, you know, a lot of people, it's just say, I want to be a data analyst, but, you know, at the end of the day, you got to have those quantitative skills. So my goal on the education front is to really generate and, and push the quantitative side. I think anybody going into this sector that wants to, to enter and uh, and advance their careers, I just think having those quantitative skills coupled up with the knowledge of how the how these commodity markets work, you, you know, you're setting yourself up for some good flexibility. And again, you know, it's, it's just an exciting career to to be involved in this sector. So, on the other side, uh, we have a research piece of the center. So every August, uh, except for this year, we have a research symposium, which, which is a mix of academic and industry professionals talking about applied commodity re research. So that, that's gained some good traction over the particular the last few years. And, uh, and as well as we have a, a applied commodity research journal that we put out twice a year which has also gained some great, uh, you know, it's called the Global Commodities Applied Research Digest. And, you know, it's it's gained some great traction over the last four or five years that, uh, again, articles written generally by practitioners, for practitioners. I remember when I was at Newmont, I could read a, an article on maybe forecasting uh, in the oil and gas space and how, hey, how can I apply that maybe to to what I'm trying to do here in the gold space? And uh, so it's, it's, uh, it's written for that. It's filling that kind of niche. And then the third leg is really that public education side of things where, you know, doing things like like this, uh, webinars, having online forums or in person, but having a place 
a nonpartisan physical or virtual location where these key policy discussions and debates can 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 happen. Pretty interesting that you say you kind of highlighted nonpartisan right at the end there. So I guess the you know the sector you sit in is one that gets kind of brought up in political discourse a lot of the time, particularly in the US, right? So can you talk a little bit about that? Because that's something that's very interesting, actually. Well, you know, again, you know, again, there's so much contention here, particularly in the state about, you know, again, all the shale oil activity uh, production going on, you know, there, there's a huge contention that I don't want any of that. But it's, uh, you know, having a place to have that kind of debate is what I would like to have, particularly with national level and, and local level uh, policy and, and government uh, employees to, to, to participate in that debate. To, so it's not just uh, we're, uh, we're getting rid of all that and without really an understanding of, wait a minute, let's take a step back here and really understand that, uh, again, that that I, that concept of oil demand is still, it's, it's not going to just go down to zero. So let's, let's, uh, let's think about that in, in terms of as we try to shape policy and, and uh, laws going forward. Really interesting. And so, again, you know, kind of focusing on the view forward, what would you say some of your kind of bigger picture ideas are, your, your kind of hopes for the center in the in the future? Well, you know, one of the reasons I was kind of brought on is that, you know, the, the you know, making those industry connections, having a strong link with industry. You know, the, the commodity center itself uh, it, it, in, the, in the business school at, at CU Denver, you know, it has, it's, it's a pretty slick classroom with, a, you know, honestly, a trading floor feel. We have a lot of uh, software, Bloomberg, for example, one of them. But just having students really, uh, and let me take a step back, and it's an urban campus. So a lot of our students that attend this, uh, this business school, first generation, maybe, you know, a lot of minority students. You know, maybe they haven't grown up in, in in an environment where they even understand anything to do with the with the commodity sector. So really getting that word out to students and here's the kind of exciting careers you can have in, in this. At the same time, trying to push the quantitative side. I just really, again, just view that that is absolutely critical for, for, for folks getting in, into this uh, into this field. So that, you know, that's my goal on the education side. You know, we uh, um, in the past, we've, we've had. Uh, a trading class and our, our one of our professors moved so i you know i'm going to be trying to get that class going again next spring and uh just to, just to have that trading again that understanding of how commodities are traded you know understanding yeah. basis understanding again futures contracts and, and other derivatives so it's just it's the just providing that that experience yeah really really interesting stuff very very interesting. Yeah. I've got to say, Tom, that, you know, the very first conversation we had, I came away from the conversation, it was a, a Friday, it was actually a bank holiday in the UK. I came away just really invigorated. It was like one of those kind of moments where you don't want the week to end, right? But it is what it is. Hello, I'm Stephen Butler, Chief Commercial Officer at Chai. Here at Chai, we're working hard to try and provide people like yourselves who are involved in the industry with the correct insights and data that will help you make the critical decisions in these uncertain times. If you would like to learn more about our service, please check out our company website, chai-uk.com or follow our market updates on LinkedIn. Thank you very much and please enjoy the show. Now, you mentioned earlier the research uh, part of the JP Morgan Center as well. 
can you talk a little bit about you know some of the kind of research that you guys are doing at the minute? I mean, you've got some fantastic minds on the kind of roster. Can you talk about it at all? Well, we've you know again you know we've we've developed uh, some good partnerships you know with some of even the the Fed Reserve you know we uh, and, and they've they've been active in our both our research symposium as well as that uh, that G card publication as well as just uh, other. Uh, renowned uh, you know academics you know well, Vince Kaminsky for example down at Rice University used to to lead uh, you know the risk management uh, research piece of uh, Enron way back in the day but just you know wow. one of the the and uh, you know he's he's been actively involved with our center so it's just been uh, again you know just a just strong relationships there that uh, you know we've had in terms of that research symposium just people you know coming in not only from Europe but to uh, as well as Asia, so it's it's really getting that international view of one of those key key conferences to attend, you know, to, to talk about you know the, some of the some of the research that's going on and across the space. Really interesting stuff. And I think you know to kind of wrap up, it's worth just talking a little bit more about this, you know, this mini series. So I think that plays into it quite nicely. I really feel like we're on the same page in that you know the mini series is really designed to provide people out there with truly actionable insight and advice for right now. So we've got a few folk lined up who have recently been in quite significant positions managing commodity risk with some massive FMCG companies. Those will be announced pretty soon. That's really exciting. What kind of made you interested and, and kind of willing, keen to get involved in this? You know, you said a little bit earlier about your engagement externally through the center, but I'd love to hear a little bit about, you know, what your, your hopes are for the mini series as well. You know, I, I just think, uh, you know, you know, you get into a corporate job and, you know, I and, you know, I was mostly focused in on on gold. You know, the, the company used a huge amount of diesel. So I focused in on oil as well as copper. And uh, it's just nice to be, again, focusing, widening, widening that viewpoint of uh, and, and uh, you know, all the just, you know, the interesting movement and technology and how it's changing the the, the sector and you know just uh, it's just a very exciting time to be kind of looking at that the wide sector versus the you know just that kind of the limited side that i that i just spent most of my career focusing in on so that to me it's just a, it's just a very interesting time great stuff great stuff. and steven i don't know if you want to add me at all with regards to the, the kind of mini series the folks we've got coming up anything like that at all to me it is about education and people understanding and learning about you know commodities markets traditionally have always been viewed with a, a slight amount of suspicion going back 20 30 years that there were a handful of people that were sort of manipulating the markets or they had their finger on the pulse and and, and you know people tend to shy away you know as we can all testify there's a significant amount of commodities risk and volatility in the markets right now people need to be aware that there are vehicles that are there and they can help them to mitigate their exposure to commodities and i think the whole purpose of this is to try and educate people that actually there are people that can help them if they need help around this and can educate them about how the markets work and can give them guidance and advice on what it is that they need to do so, you know, we, you know, from, as you well know, Jake, from our discussions with prospective clients, I mean, some guys, they knew that they had exposure, but they didn't know how to go about offsetting it or they just didn't bother because they didn't have time, the money, you know, their, their core competency is not staring at screens all day and watching, so they tend to just leave it. And, and you know, what we're, what the whole purpose of, of, of what we try to do is to try and explain to people, look, there are people that can help you this. 
there's significant risks out there, but you can manage them. And that's hopefully what, what I would like to do over the next weeks and months is try and help people to understand more about what we do. Really, really exciting stuff. Well, gents, I'm really looking forward to the mini series and to kind of see what the results are at the back end of it. You know, I'm, I'm really kind of excited to look back and maybe re-listen to some of the, the episodes that we're going to go ahead and, and record just to kind of hear some of the fantastic conversations that I know we're going to have with some really great industry folks. So thank you so much for your time today. We'll be making more announcements about the, the upcoming mini series shortly. Please do tune into that. Thanks again, gents. So that's it for today. As always, please do get in touch if you feel like you've got something different to say and you'd like to come on the podcast as a future guest. If you've also got any themes, topics, or people you'd like us to interview in future episodes, again, let me know. My email address is jake at chai-uk.com. If you enjoyed Time for Chai, I'd really appreciate it if you'd subscribe to the podcast and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Today's podcast was produced by Alejandro Giron of Giron & Co Podcasting Services. Special thanks to my colleagues Stephen Butler, Chris Evans and Marcus Dixon. It was written and hosted by myself, Jake Jacobs. Have a great week. See you next time.